Hello and welcome to Philosophy with Will Anderson. I'm Will Anderson from the title of the podcast and today's guest, Osher Ginsberg is back. My good mate Osher Ginsberg is back. Very excited to have Osh back on the show. It's been a long while since we had our first chat and a lot has changed in the world and a lot has changed in his world as well. If you like Osha, if you only know Osha actually from his TV presenting roles, I think you're going to be very blown away and surprised by today's episode. And I would highly recommend you go back and search out the first episode as well. And if you like the Osha you hear here today, and this is a new Osha for you, then I highly recommend you go and check out his podcast, Better Than Yesterday, the Osha Ginsberg podcast, because it's an incredibly long-running show where you get a great insight into Osha's mental health journey, all his personal journeys, but also into the world around him and the things that fascinates him. And he talks to a whole bunch of experts about a whole bunch of important things. I highly recommend and endorse Better Than Yesterday, the Osha Ginsberg podcast. And of course, if you're looking for some distractions during these downtimes, Osha also uh, is the presenter of a whole bunch of, uh, you know, fun, uh, entertaining reality shows, uh, The Bachelor franchise, The Masked Singer, and uh, a bunch of other things as well. So go and check out Osha's other work. He talks about the idea of how he balances all the different types of work that he does in this episode. If you like this show, and you would like this show to continue, the best thing you can do is uh, hit us up at the Patreon page. That's patreon.com slash philosophy, patreon.com slash philosophy. So Patreon is P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash W-A-L-O-S-O-P-H-Y. And you can donate there for as little as a dollar a month, uh, up to as much as you really want to. And uh, what we're doing is aiming to get to $5,000 because we've done a little budget and we've discovered that if we want to put out two episodes a week, and that's what we're aiming for, to get to a point where we're doing a guest, a brand new guest, a brand new philosophy guest, plus a catch-up episode like this one with the previous guest, we'd like to do two per week, one new, one catch-up. And we've budgeted that we need uh, $5,000 per month to be able to cover that, to cover podcast mics costs, uh, obviously, which are increased during this time, a lot more editing and a lot more organizing to do for Mike to get the episodes up. And of course, the original art by James Fosdyke, uh, the brilliant James Fosdyke that he does every episode. If you like James Fosdyke's art and you would want to see more of it, uh, our little independent media company, Tofop, has its own website now. It's tofop.com and it is a great home for all James Fosdyke's amazing philosophy art, but his Tofop art, Fofop, Two Guys, One Cup, all our podcasts are there. And if you are not a member of the Patreon page, because obviously you can always send me a message on Patreon, you can suggest a guest, you can give me some feedback about an episode, tell me what you like, even tell me what you didn't like if you signed up to the Patreon, that is fine. Uh, you're a contributor to the show. So you're allowed to give your feedback on those sort of things. And uh, some of it's really fantastic. Uh, One of the suggestions recently was, could there be a clean advertising free feed for Patreon subscribers? Uh, The suggestion was we're already contributing in the show. So could we get a feed that is free of ads? So at the moment, we're exploring whether we can do that. We don't know if we can yet or how hard it's going to be to make it happen, but we'll have a little look at it. So that's the sort of feedback you can give me on the Patreon page. And you can sign up for as little as a dollar a month uh, to give you an update of where we are on that uh, drive towards 5,000. We're nearly at 4,000. So uh, we have nearly a 1,000 subscribers on the Patreon page and we're nearly at 4,000. So I guess that average is out as $4 each, right? So I guess to get to the uh, to 5,000 mark at that rate, we need about another 250 subscribers at this stage to get to a stage where we could do 
two episodes every week, sustainable model. Uh, so if you would like to see that, join up at the Patreon page, or if you'd like to send me a message and you're not on the Patreon page, go to tofop.com, go to the drag down window, select the show Velocity, and you can send mail through our website there. Um, all right, I think that's it. I'm going to keep this intro nice and short. I hope you're doing well. I know there are so many people at the moment going through incredibly hard times. So Uh, thinking of you. I'm not going to dwell on it in the intro today, but uh, I hope this episode and the optimism that Osha shows about how we can recreate the world that we live in might be something that is inspiring to you during these times. So be well, be safe, stay inside if you can, wear a mask, be kind to others, and hope you enjoy today's show with Osha. Welcome to Philosophy with Will Anderson. I am Will Anderson from the title of the podcast, and uh, it's a catch-up episode. It is one of these opportunities that have sprung up during this global pandemic. There hasn't been a lot of upsides to the global pandemic, but there has been some, and one of them is that I've taken the opportunity to check back in with previous guests on this podcast, and this guest just said, there's an intro which made me think there wasn't an intro last time I spoke to him because it was a fair while, not the last time I spoke to him in real life, the last time I spoke to him on this podcast. It started like this, I'm sure, back then also. I'm not actually sure, but in my memory, it started like this. I would ask the guest who they are. So, guest, who are you? My name's Osher Ginsberg. Hello, Osher Ginsberg. <laughs> Hello, Will Anderson. There was a beautiful intro last time, and you went to a great deal of care to talk about the the hunking chunk of uh, stuff that you cut out because I asked you to. Because there was a bunch of stuff that we talked about that that couldn't go on air, and uh, I was very grateful for that. And I've got to say, it's a very different a- time. It, it was back in the day, you know. It was it was before. Well, it, it feels to me it was you had already started a process of talking honestly and openly about your life. Yes. But it feels like I got you at a point where you were really starting to say, no, I'm going to be a lot more of an open book. Yes, I was. And it was a very significant um, day that day that I showed up to your house in, in Sydney where you no longer live. And um, I remember, and a lot of people won't, know this that you you edited them out i kept running out of the room because i was mid negotiating my um hit 105 contract and i would run back in to talk to you and you were basically coaching me through the contract negotiation of my breakfast radio job um and i thought it was a beautiful closed loop because uh, i don't know if i told you this at the time but you should know that when i came to your house in los angeles to do uh my podcast um, goodness, 2013. I remember sitting there going, fucking hell, this guy's worked his nuts off. Look what he's got. I really should pull my fucking finger out. And then when I got to your home in Sydney, I was like, Jesus Christ, he really has worked his fucking nuts off. I haven't pulled my finger out far enough. And it was really significant because we're, you know, you know, you should never compare your outsides to other people's insides. You should never compare your opportunities and what you've achieved to anybody else. But fuck, we're the same age. We start at the same time. We're doing the same thing almost. And I'm like, Jesus Christ, I'm really going to put my fucking skates on here. And um, it really was great because it put the wind up me. It really gave me an idea of like, no, 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 there's so much more that's possible. I thought that I had achieved what I needed to achieve. And I thought that I was, you know, pretty comfortable and I was happy with where I was 
going. But when I started to see the the the, the grandeur of the legacy that you had created and, and, you know, that you were not stopping and how much there was ahead of you and what you were not, you know, just planning on doing. And, and as you grow and move and transform yourself in the public eye and as grew and grew and changed and as your, you know, stand up has grown and changed and as the podcasting has grown and changed, you know, who you are morphing into in, in the public eye, I'm like, fuck, all right, if we all can do it, I can do it. Off we go. And, um, I really have to thank you very, very much for allowing me to come on that first episode because I reckon, I'd say about once a week I get an email from somebody who discovers that podcast and it's for many people the first time that they've considered drinking in a different way and the way that you gave me an opportunity to share and speak openly about alcohol um, has really helped a lot of people, man, um, judging by the emails that I get. Um, so thank you. And the emails that I get as well. I get a bit of a sense of what resonates with people, which episodes resonate with people, and often just why specifically that episode resonates with people, uh, particularly during this time when uh, my Patreon page has really become my only means of income in the last four months. And I've been making a concerted effort to really correspond with those people who've made an effort to support the show financially, sent me a message, given me some feedback. And there you often you know, need five minutes with each letter because the letters can be quite involved. They can be quite deep. They can be saying, you know, here's what was going on in my life when I heard, you know, your conversation with somebody who was going through this in their life. And this is why it was important to me. And your episode is one that comes up very often for those reasons. And also I think, you know, there's a lot of people who just love your podcast because they didn't realize that the dude from The Bachelor (laughs) was like doing this really cool thing until they listened to that episode. And then they went over and found... This other thing that you do. Yeah. Some people really kind of struggle, I think, um, in that I, I do have this kind of a foot in each. You know, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not in one lane, you know. I'm in, I'm, there's, there's no lanes in my pool. I'm just in there. Um, and some people kind of can't really put that together in their heads that – how can't you're hang on you're on the bachelor and you're having these conversations on your podcast and you know you're doing these things of advocacy and like you're not allowed to do that well who the fuck says you know people are multifaceted we're complicated human beings every single person you see walking down the street has many aspects to them no one's one thing well that's what i love about who you are and what you do is that i feel like i'm like that myself and it took me a very long time to reconcile that, you know, I would find it insulting that more people listen to this show than listen to TOEFOP, or I would find it insulting that someone who like grew and didn't like my stand up or, or vice versa. And it would make me angry. It was like, if you don't like my stand up, you shouldn't get to like my TV show either. <laughs> Until I got comfortable with the idea of, of course, that's fine. There are some people, this is just more to their taste. There are artists who I admire that I don't love every album they've released or don't love every movie that they've put out. But it doesn't mean that I don't still really love the ones that I love and that I that me talking about football and me talking about nonsense with Charlie and me you know, interviewing you know the former prime minister yeah. on this show and me um you know doing Gruen and me doing my stand-up they're all very different parts of my personality but because they seem to generally fall under umbrella people seem to be more forgiving of the fact that i'm doing all these different things than they are forgiving of the fact that you do these different (laughs) things and i imagine that must be incredibly frustrating because 
what you're doing with your show, with your podcast is like, I mean, I love it. Thanks, I think it's, it's, it's definitely one of my favorite shows. I, I get something out of every single episode that I listen to. But the other thing is that it feels like you put so much into that show. So I want to talk about the show, but I also want to talk about just while we're on it, does it frustrate, like, is it frustrating that people will dismiss this amazing thing that you're doing because they have some preconceived notion about the other things that you do? Oh, it used to be. It used to be. I've, mm. I've, come, to the, uh, I've come to the conclusion that I'm 46 now. I'm 46 and I am, uh, you know, had COVID not been happening, I would be probably a week off getting my hip replaced. Uh, like mm. oh, my body's falling to pieces. I'm, I've probably got less days ahead of me that I've got, I've had behind me. Like honestly, if I make it to 92, I'll fucking high five myself, right? That that makes Osha mad as well. It's all the attention I get for my bad hips. He's like, oh, I've got fucking bad hips. <laughs> <laughs> I do actually. I fucking. We'll talk about that. We'll talk about that later. Um, and one's really fucked at the moment, and I can't get anything done about it because you know I can't you know elective surgery or the the, the weeks that it would take to. Rec anyway, I'll talk about it later. Anyway, um, what were you asking me? Does it frustrate me? So I've come to realise that with less days ahead of me than I have behind me, um, the rest of my days is just wrestling my ego to the ground and holding it there until it just just fucking stop just stay down just stay down because that's the thing that has gotten me into more trouble um it's gotten me it's gotten me into situations that i've managed to negotiate great success out of but more often it's gotten to be in a lot more trouble cause a lot more pain and emotional tr heartache to myself and mostly to others to be honest mostly to other people um so the rest of my days is just like Fuck you, ego. Stop, talk, shush. No, if they don't want to listen to it, it's fine. People can do whatever they want. As my brother Marty says, their garden, their path, man. So it used to really bother me. It used to really bother me because, you know, it was a time when on a scale of zero to cool, I don't think you could get cooler than what we were doing on Channel V. Like, we were as fucking cool as it got. Like, we were... Sure, we were making money from Rupert Murdoch. That's fine. But we were, you know, just sauntering around the world with AAA passes around our necks and, you know, people calling us up going, hey, we're in town. You guys want to come? Yes, we do. Member of Massive Band that we won't say, but then you backstage at some fucking massive arena, you know drinking a free drink and you know life's amazing um and you know of course my ego expected that to never ever 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 end and then it did and then nobody wanted to know who i was and then my ego was very upset with that and so i've come to realize more and more and as as i have in the last few years particularly with something like mask singer and batch in paradise and i'm now a bit more visible for more of the year uh, you know i've kind of poked up into that zone of uh, uh target practice for people who make um money on the internet by just saying mean things about other people who are you know out there and um i honestly 100 percent could not give half of a fuck uh, about what any of those people say because i know in my heart that i am guided by 
what I feel is right action and what I feel is honest communication and what I feel is a, a humility that I don't think I'm always right and I'm always willing to consider that I might not have the right aspect on things and I've corrected myself many times and if you want to say shit about me then that's fine but there was a time when I would single-handedly go into battle with every Twitter troll or every you know person who 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 you know makes a video about how one of our shows isn't great I really don't care if that's what you want to do with your day have at you no one's going to like everything there's plenty of things I don't like go for it it's interesting isn't it that I think maybe it's to do with age I think when you get to your you know 40s mid 40s there's there's a there's just a fork in the road and you're either going to entirely give in to your ego and your ego is going to drive everything that you do for the rest of your life and particularly in our industry, you see plenty of good examples of that being the case. And then there's those who realize that the only way forward is the complete and utter destruction of ego. And and here's what I had to reconcile with. I had to reconcile with the fact that anti-ego is the exact same thing as ego, in that my ego was in that I wasn't egotistical. Does that make sense? Like my ego came from the idea that I didn't go to openings and I wouldn't host that sort of show. And I, you know, really define myself, but that in itself is the exact same form of arrogance. It's just a completely, it's arrogance hidden in the idea that you're not being arrogant. And it's like, you know, it's the idea between somebody who like, it performatively leaves the internet is the one that I always go to. I said, you, you know what? You can get off Twitter without telling anyone. You don't need to tell everybody yeah. that you're leaving Twitter. You can just leave Twitter and everything is fine. Yeah. One of them is saying, I don't care about this anymore. And the performative one is saying, I want you to think that I don't care about this anymore, but yeah. I still deeply care about it. There, I saw a great one the other day uh, in an Instagram comment. Um, someone just said, it's not an airport, mate. You don't need to announce it. When someone said unfollowing, it's like, <laughs> it's not a fucking airport, mate. You don't need to announce it. It's fucking brilliant. Like, I, and I remember like there was, there was one point last year, someone was every year, I live tweet the shit out of The Bachelor. I think it's fucking, it's the best live, it's the best television experience that I have is live tweeting with an insider's point of view um, with the direct most rabid fans of this show um, the big finales of the show, which often happen outside of Daylight Saving, which means that parts of Australia uh, aren't watching it at the same time. And the amount of people who are fucking furious with me for spoiling the ending. <laughs> one person, I'm just like, I'm really sorry that I broke into your house, grabbed your phone, unlocked it using your passcode, opened Instagram, scrolled to this post, forced your eyes open and made you look at the spoiler my apologies like it's we have agency in this world you know you can choose what you want to watch you can choose what you don't want to listen to and that is totally fine if it would be life would be a very boring place if we all like the same thing um it's amazing though because I, I i really feel it i feel like five years ago i would have been i i would care a lot or at least think a lot yeah. about what somebody said and it would stay with me even if i even if it was a good day and I knew it was sensible not to respond and I walked away from the computer, I wouldn't have walked away from the thought. Right. The thought would be taking up space in my head all day long. This anonymous person. Yeah. And, you know, I think Briggs said to me when I had a catch up with him early on, the idea of don't take criticism from somebody that you wouldn't take advice from. <laughs> and I The guy's think, an oracle, man. He's a fucking oracle. <laughs> it's such a good piece 
of advice. Yeah. I would take advice from him and criticism from him, you know, for that matter. But yeah. it, it, the, I don't know how I've got to this point, but what I realize more than ever, you were talking about those you know, outside trappings of success yeah. earlier, you know, an apartment here, a house here yeah, yeah. and, you know, the, how those things might define, you know, the way that somebody is living their life. For me, the period of time that we are currently going through, you know, the, on a personal level, being unemployed for the first time in quarter of a century and, you know, having a whole bunch of financial commitments that I can't honour at the moment and I'm terrified about how I will honour, my industry being the first out and probably the last back back in because the very nature of what it is that I do for a living is you know the most incredible you know vector for spreading disease amongst people so you know I think that I probably have a moral and philosophical obligation not to rush back into it even myself even if it is permissible yeah. for me to be able to do shows is it to my own morals to be able to say to people comfortably hey a thousand of you come into a room I'm going to get you to spit at each other for an hour and a half I'm not sure that it is so if that is true I suddenly look at the next year year and a half two years of my life and I think what is it that I do for a job and what is it that actually defines who I am so you talked about the idea of this guy is still working yeah I feel at the moment so incredibly humbled in the the right sense of that word by what has happened in the world that everything feels like it's been like an etch-a-sketch and the entire slate has been wiped clean mm. and everything that i did before this moment doesn't really matter or count anymore and all that's going to matter and count is what happens from now on in i get that i i and you're you're obviously in a in a great turning point in your life um you and amy have have relocated to a a, a part of the world that is, you know, extraordinarily beautiful and, you know, you've made a, a, a deep commitment to, you know, the, the, they used to make this joke when I lived in Los Angeles, there was a, no, 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 we can't, go, you, you don't move to Malibu until people come out to have meetings with you. You know, you're com <laughs> you're comfortable because it takes fucking four, three hours to drive, you know, 20 Ks because it's stupid, the traffic there. Um, you know, you've, you've, you're comfortable enough in your career and where you are that, I don't know, I feel good enough that I've got enough collateral that if I needed to make something happen, I could hustle it up remotely versus I have to be with my boots on the ground and I have to be there and I have to begin people, people's faces and going to openings and going to things like that. You know, it's an extraordinary time. So I, I certainly wouldn't say that you have, you know, that nothing matters, man, but I get the idea that we have all been given this opportunity, every single one of us, every single person on this planet that has, is living in a kind of modern westernized system of capitalism uh, has been given this chance to stop for a second and look at the systems that we have just accepted as this is just how it always is, so this is how it will always be, and go, well, hang on a sec, is that, in, is that ultimately the best idea in the end? For example, um, this opportunity that we've been given to kind of have a really long, hard look and go, well, okay, now that money's, you know, as I believe is simply Redwood said, money's too tight to mention. Um, do we really need that, you know, updated phone? This phone does just the job. It's fine. Does everything perfectly well. Do I need to go out and spend, you know, this many hundred bucks on a, on a phone that does marginally more things than the one in my hand right now or can I get everything that I need to get done with this object 
Yeah, probably can. You know, do I? Mm, I'd need to go back five phones. Yeah. I, could, I couldn't do everything on the phone five phones ago <laughs> yeah. when I kept updating my stupid fucking phone. Yeah, yeah. right. Me too, because I'm a fucking idiot. Um, <laughs> and, you know, but there also look, we can look at, you know, various cracks in our society and go, well, hang on a second. This is how we've we've somehow been okay with that. This is, this is fine. Like one of the vectors that, you know, there's people in the community that have unfortunately been in a situation where they have contracted COVID-19 and they have unknowingly spread it by traveling some distance from where they originally contracted it. And there was a story of one fella who spent four straight days in a pokey room. Like, hang on a second. We as a community are fine with that. That someone can spend four days pushing money into them. Like, four days... That's a lot of money going into the, you know, what do they call it? The tradies laptop. That's a lot going in there, right? And none of nobody tapped him on the shoulder. Are you okay? Are you all right? Like having a, you know, losing 50 in between the, the Parmigiana being ordered and the Parmigiana being ready, like that's a, it's one thing. But four days in a VIP room, like no one in the venue went, hang on, man, are you all right? Is it, you've been here for 10 hours and you're back today and you're back tomorrow and you're back the next day like little things like that we never noticed before really it just happened all the time but we didn't pay much attention to it but when i read that i was like we're okay with that should i don't know if that's a good thing i don't know if that's an okay thing to be okay with um and you know it's interesting there's but there's an opportunity much like you know your own career we're all having this opportunity to go well okay how can we rebuild what else can we do how can we restructure how can we put it back together? Um, we have this incredible opportunity to 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 rebuild in a, in a and and put it back together in a very different, hopefully better way. And you know, as someone who does your job, you are not adverse to taking something that you've created, something that you thought was the best idea ever. Like this, I've got this particular joke. Um, uh, let's use it was four shows ago or something. So I hope you won't mind me using it. Um, I won't remember it if it was four shots. I don't know. Ago. It was um, <laughs> we could be the we could be the catter of clean energy. Everybody, when you go to the doctor, they give you fifty bucks. All right, there was a line about that. All right, and that's probably not the last line, the last version of that. You probably went, "This is a fucking great. I've got this great idea," and you went out and you threw it around in front of different audiences, and a few people gave you crickets, a few people gave you groans, and then after I don't know five, ten, twenty nights, you got it. And then you went there. So your life has always been this, my idea that I have just come up with and I have this greater sense of uh, ownership of and, and, and ego is involved in this idea. It might not be the best one. I just have to kind of work with it. We need to have that opportunity to, to look at parts of our society and go, we thought this was the best idea. It might not be. There might be a better way to do this and we'll get a much better reaction if we iterate and we figure this out. Um, working from home. My goodness, the amount of quality time that people are having with their families is extraordinary. You know, I've had the opportunity to be around with with baby as as babies. You know, kind of going those first interesting few months, being around with G. Well, and what's wild is like the babies, as you know, babies change quite rapidly, very significantly over the first few months of their lives. But goodness, so do teenagers, so do sixteen year olds. Every two weeks, she's a different kid, and it's amazing. And we have this opportunity to look at aspects of our society that we might be able to put back together. And I think we, 
as a community really should demand that look if you're going to if you're serious about you know you got you want an election on jobs and growth if you're serious about jobs and growth then you need to go where jobs and growth are and jobs and growth are in renewables so don't tell me you don't follow science because you follow science because you listen to the doctors and you the first time around you crushed the curve hard on covid-19 um, you know that there's another curve you know that there's another graph of, of rising temperatures. That curve represents the, the atmosphere's capacity to sustain human life. You know we've got to do something. So don't tell me you don't believe in science and don't tell me you don't understand it and don't tell me you don't, can't see the economic impact of not, of not acting. So you've shown your hand. Now let's get to work. And we have that opportunity. And I, I really hope that we take it. But it's up to us as a community to push for that right now because you can bet your ass that... This weird kind of version of the government we have at the moment where there's no actual sitting in parliament. Incidentally, every other fucking business in the world is having a Zoom meeting. How come the government can't? I don't understand that, Will. <laughs> Do they... so, okay, there's so, there's so much I want to unpack there. Let's put a pin in the environment because I want to come back okay. to that. Okay, all right. But I, think that. but I think that what you're saying about what this teaches about it, the environment can be very complicated because it teaches us the importance of trusting science but it's also shown us how quickly we disregard the science and how many special interests there are that want us to disregard the experts yeah. even just for the sake of a culture war on the day that we're recording this the culture war is starting in Australia around wearing a mask or not wearing a mask and it will have nothing to do with science and experts it will have to do with special interests and a culture war that loves the idea of clicks and arguments and it worries me severely that that's exactly the same thing we're going to continue to get when it comes to the environment, that we know we need to trust the experts, but immediately there's special interests who don't want to trust the experts. But what you're saying that got us into that conversation, I just want to back back to, because I love the idea, if it's six months from now, 12 months from now, 18 months from now, I would love if the leaders said, when this is over... Or not when it's over. Let's not wait for it to be over. But at different stages when we're going back to what we consider to be the new normal, let's check in with what worked and what didn't work. Let's have a really decent conversation about, you know, what was good about staying at home, working from home, how we reimagined our society and what wasn't good about it. And when we go back to what we were doing previously, let's not just go back to how we were doing it. Let's take the lessons we've learned out of what we just went through and take them back into a better society. Absolutely. And we, every, every business that has a, you know, a quarterly report that they have to then give to their shareholders would do the same soul searching, would do the same constant iteration of product, of process, of are we, is this world's best practice uh, to maintain competitiveness? Are we doing what people are doing who are the best in the world at this? If not, let's figure it out. Let's re-engineer this machine. Let's, let's figure out the ingredients. Well, let's, so every company, every business on the planet does that. Why should our government not? Um, and v and v briskly and and viciously and quickly with with extreme gusto because there's just no time to waste. There's no time to waste um, around anything, particularly you know when you when you look at and you know they're serious, man. Because what September? What did we? What was free childcare? It was empathy we can't afford. And then <laughs> six months later, it's, it's free childcare. And the economic impact of that uh, is it was a fucking good idea. 
Because they're like, oh, we need to get more people back to work, so free childcare. But six months ago, you're saying you couldn't afford it. You can, you just didn't want to. <laughs> yes, but you know that it's also going to go away again. That's the other thing. Uh, the lesson we're not going to learn out of this is that it's a really brilliant thing and we should keep going with it. Yeah. The lesson's going to be that, no, no, it is empathy we can't afford. We can't afford it anymore. We're going back to making you pay for it. Yeah, uh, yeah it was. Uh, I had a great chat with... Uh, an economist by the name of Dr. Richard Dennis, and he had this great line. It was like, um, governments spend things, spend money on things that they want to spend things on. You know, we don't need submarines, but they want submarines, so we're spending two hundred billion dollars on submarines. And I think it's fair to say, you know, it's been, if the last few weeks is anything to go by, the war that we're so afraid of, we won't need submarines for it. The power station that powers the fucking you know, HQ for the submarines will get shut off remotely well before we, we get a chance to launch the submarines and that's it. It'll be all over in 36 hours. We won't, not, a, not a shot will be fired. You're like, warfare won't, it won't be like that. It won't be missiles and bombs. It'll be, oh, all, all the water treatment systems have stopped. <laughs> okay. Country's crippled in four days. That's it. Like, and then it's got, but for some reason it's, you know, there's a certain part of our elected body that feels it's a really good idea to you know spend money on things that go boom but look you know i'm not in politics at this point (laughs) at this point i just spoke to the prime minister i'm not speaking to a potential next prime minister of australia am i that would be now that would be from hosting The Bachelor and Bachelor in Paradise and The Masked Singer to running the country. Like, I mean, if Trump could do it, you could do it. And you'd be much better at it than Trump. I'd like to think so. Um, If I do, Will, it won't be without a fair amount of, um, you know, I've got a fair amount of, there's a montage that has to happen. There's like a Rocky style getting ready (laughs) montage that will need to happen. It's probably going to be about 10 years long, but, you know, it certainly won't be in a hurry. But I don't know. My my first policy would be um, electoral reform. <laughs> That'd probably be it. Be like, uh, vote for me. I will change the way we vote. <laughs> and you know, I would bring in um, I would bring in citizen juries uh, as quick as I can um, because I think. So explain that. explain the idea of citizen juries. And I'm listening to you, by the way. But if I disappear from your screen for a second, I'm opening the door for Ramona. But I can hear you through my headphones. So talk about citizen juries, and I'll be back by the end of you explaining. Oh, I'm so excited just to get a, a visit from the dog. That's that's really good. Last time I did your podcast, and I don't know if you're going to edit this, but Mike will probably edit this. Last time I did your podcast, I had a wee, and uh, Ramona licked my feet while I was weeing, and it was a very, very interesting experience. <laughs> you might have to declare that one publicly when uh, when you're running for prime minister. <laughs> no, I don't give a shit because it won't matter. Because when I, you know, I, and I, we won't even have a prime minister. It will be, it'll be a president by then. Um, basically, it was an idea that I first um, came into, you know, awareness of through James Matheson, who I uh, used to work on Channel V and Australian Idol with. Um, so. You know, the way he explains it is actually quite good. So say, for example, Will, oh, yeah. Say, for example, you uh, went to court and you, um, you know, who decides if you're guilty or not when you go to court? Well, the jury, right? Yes. And are those people elected? No. They're chosen. You get a a thing in the mail. They're chosen at random from within the community. (laughs) All right. Yeah. And some of those things can be, you know, a, a fine of a couple of grand. But can be 
years in prison. It can be your life without parole, which New South Wales does, which is pretty hectic. Um, and we, we trust 12 random people from the community, all walks of life, all political affiliations, all genders, all, all religions, all upbringings with that extraordinarily powerful role. Why should we then trust incredibly important things in our you know, public life to you know, people who are beholden to special interests? So the idea is that you, you get a massive sample size. It's you know, 300, 600 people or so. Um, you give them all the training of how to you know, figure out conflict resolution and how to figure it out, uh, how to come to a, an agreement. And you give them time. You give them a couple of weeks to think about something particularly difficult. Um, and then they hand down a recommendation. We actually have in this country, we have a, um, uh, it's actually written into our law, into our constitution, that the Senate can delegate their authority to a third party. So it's already there. We can if we want. We can bring in citizen juries to um, hand down recommendations. I mean, could you imagine, like, say, for example, what are we looking at? Okay, so the COVID-19 economic rebuild. Say, for example, we went, all right, here we go. Where are we going to go? We're going to go with gas or are we going to go with renewables? Um, let's put it to the citizen jury. And the citizen jury was of 600 people that came from all over Australia, from all walks of life, uh, all political affiliations. And those, those people handed down a recommendation. Which government would ever say no to that, you know? Like, I mean, it's a good idea in principle, but I, I have to add the caveat that I worked at Triple M and the music at Triple M was selected, of course, by the Triple M music jury. And I just wasn't always 100% sure that the Triple M music jury were coming to the correct decisions. Well, I would put it to you that the Triple M music jury is not a wide swathe of society. <laughs> <laughs> that is the uh, Ford Raptor drivers of Victoria. <laughs> And look, let's just say story of the year. They're fucking firing with those cats. They're loving it. <laughs> so I do like your idea. I actually will say I really do uh, like the idea of it because we, I think we've got to be reminded that government is there for the people. Yeah. That is literally that they are there to. And I think that this time has reminded us of that, you know, that we are looking to the paper every day to see what our leaders are going to say about the numbers and their response to the numbers, you know, what the economic response is, whether people are going to be open their businesses, shut their businesses. They're actually talking about things that matter to people. And it's reconnected us with the idea of this is what government is for. It is to. Yeah serve the people and mm -hmm. so the idea that there are a group of these people working on these things who aren't in the pocket of you know big energy or you know you know their faction ordeals or you know all the other compromises of the people who actually make it the top in the current system it does have some some you know genuine merit to it and it's very difficult to sway when it does come to uh, outside interests because particularly if you're say for example in the the liberal party of australia and for people listening overseas they are not liberal uh it is the conservative party they have to vote along party lines so if the party have decided no nah, we're going to go with gas and that's what we're going to go with every person has to vote along those lines. And so you really only need to take one person out to dinner, promise them a job once they get voted out, and Bob Zirani's living lover, you're sweet as nut. Much harder to take 600 people out to dinner or, or 301, you know? It's much, much harder to influence uh, when it comes to externals. It has to just come down to the facts and it has to come down with what's the best thing um, for the country and, and, and far and above. It's called sortition. It goes back a very, very long way. 
far and above. Citizen juries have, you know, they've come down with some pretty great ideas uh, around the world. There's an interesting crew in Australia called New Democracy that um, uh, are a part of it, and I think it's, I think it's, you know, there's a. It's the way forward for me, as far as democracy goes. And so, to to come back to the point of your question, like I'm not going into politics until I get to become president, and until <laughs> as president, all I'm there to do is cut a ribbon and and put a medal on a kid who's just finished the under twelve A's cricket, um, because all the actual decision making will be done by the people. Well, I think, you know, the one thing this country really needs is another white straight guy in a position of power, so I'm right behind it. <laughs> now, my, my first act will be, I don't know, I'll make Sally Rugg president. There you go. She can take care what of it. Okay, so you reform the voting system first and foremost, but what is your yeah. second yeah, position? Like, you know, in this hypothetical world, yeah. you know, what would be the second most important thing that you would do? Uh, energy independence, um, without a doubt. And because energy independence and and um, and um, uh, climate uh, climate mitigation, because there is no greater threat uh, to our nation than the threat that climate change is 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 bringing right now and will for the next hundred years. So, energy independence is an extraordinary. If we're lucky, <laughs> if we're lucky, energy independence yeah. is extreme extremely important thing. Um, I think there was one point early on in the pandemic where they were like, well, the shipping goes down. Um, we have something like eight weeks of liquid fuel in the country. Uh, that means like no, like a food supply stops. Like Shepparton, you know, Wagga, Albury, Broken Hill, getting food to those places, just sorry. And what happens to the country? You know, people just evacuate. And that is very, very, you know, jeopardy. It would have been a huge amount of jeopardy if that were the case. And that's that's too close to the bone for me. So electrification of everything and, and then moving towards energy dependence. So how can we, you know, electrify as much of the system as we possibly can, um, starting with, you know, food transportation and, and, and going down from there. And then how do we then power that? Well, renewables and perhaps, you know, hydrogen and, and things like this. Um, because energy independence is also political independence because, you know, if, say, for example, a country that's buying a lot of our coal is getting upset at us, we can go, that's fine. Um, we will keep doing what we want to do versus trying to keep somebody happy and compromising our integrity as a nation. We can go, no, we're good. We'll just keep doing this thing because it's the right thing to do and we're fine. And so I think that's really important. And as far as, you know, there's, don't make no mistake, Will, make no mistake. There is, there's billions of dollars to be made in saving the world and putting people to work as far as, you know, preparing the country for the, what climate change is doing and will continue to do to make sure that we stay safe and you know ensure food security and water security um, it's just the most important thing that there is and there's great economic stability in that public works projects have you know throughout the history have always you know made sure that there's job security and you know there's incredible assets that were built under public works schemes um, Sydney Hub Bridge Great Ocean Road you know things that are 100 years old that still serve everybody today um, they're incredibly important, incredibly important things. And um, so that would be my, you know, my first two, really. <laughs> well, the, the public works is a very interesting one because it seems to me that this time, as we are looking to rebuild, it is literally a time where you can 
rebuilt and build anew. You know, we could look at this as an opportunity to say, well, we're going to need to create a whole bunch of jobs. And when I say we, we the people, you know, the government who represents us, but they don't, you know, create the jobs by themselves. The jobs are, you know, on behalf of and by all of us, those of us who have jobs, support a system, pay taxes, etc., so that those who do not have jobs can have jobs, you know, created and industries created. We're all in this together right yeah so this time more than any other time seems like the perfect time to say okay we've had a very successful run on old energy in this country and we had a couple laps of honor when we shouldn't have had laps of honor you know what we really should have done what that routine you mentioned earlier was about was about the idea that we were in the best position in the world to go from being the champions of one game to being the champions of the next. Yeah. You know, we had all this old energy that we just, you know, we we were smart enough to, you know, dig a hole in the ground and find stuff. That was our secret to our success early on. But we had all this technology in regard to solar in particular in Australia, well before the rest of the world. And we had all this incredible money coming in from the old energy sources, these, you know, super profits, you know, they were going to put in a super profits tax to take some of that money. The transition between the old energy and the new energy should have been a lot smoother than it is right now. But yeah. it's not too late. Well, I mean, it is too late, but there's no other choice. <laughs> I don't think, no, I, I, but sometimes that's it. And I, and I think if, if this has taught us anything and what's happened in Victoria is, um, you know, evidence of it and certainly what's happening in New South Wales. We're recording this uh, in the 20, like almost all the way through July. We're three weeks into July, right? So, you know, in 2020, so you know what happens next, right? So it's plain to see that you can have the best plans ever, but human nature does get in the way. And it is it is human nature to make the the next easiest right choice. And at that time, as yes, we had all this solar technology, but the next easiest right choice was great. Um, we just found a way to make the coal mining more efficient. Yeah, we'll just keep doing that for 20 more years. But now here we are. And again, we've fallen backwards down the stairs and landed on our feet because we happen to have, when it comes to electrification, you need ways to store that. And battery technology is very important in that. And we, in our country, happen to have fuckloads of of lithium and cobalt and manganese and all these really, really important battery minerals that the world will need for the next 30, 40 years as we, you know, transition out of old energy into new. And, you know, I guess since you asked me about my policy points, um, the next ones you talked about super tax, uh, a super um, profit, um, it would be a sovereign wealth fund, Will. It would be a sovereign wealth fund for battery minerals. That would be the next thing that I would I would push for because you look at somewhere like Norway, their sovereign wealth fund is $1.6 trillion. All right. Um, and that well, wasn't that. Pause for a oh, that's all right. There's more more dog. I know it's all right. I'm just talking. Uh, looks here. Look, Will has uh, paused on the screen. He's just having a cough. We've got the blurred Skype background. He's yeah. walking back into the room. Uh, you were frozen on my screen as well. So uh, was, uh, you were in a very handsome pose at the time. I appreciate I'll that. I'll reassure you of so that. You. And you're currently you. very blurry. So let's see if. Uh, I'll be back in a second. I will say that your, your, your tree change is doing you well, Will. You look very healthy. Well, you know what I am doing is, to be honest, is I've, I've had a rest from going out at night, obviously. And, you know, being on the road, the tax that it takes on your body, you're aware of this. And we both yeah. have broken old bodies. Yeah. And 
but also I've just been cooking and eating a lot at home. So, yeah, you know, uh, I look well. What that really means is, look, I'm a little overweight, to be honest, but <laughs> it's all from, you know, the idea that we will sort of cook and then eat everything ourselves. And, yeah, yeah we've got our own little garden here and we <sighs> pop down to the garden and grab so things out of the garden and, and cook them up and eat them. So it all feels very... Uh, it feels like good weight, if that makes sense. Yeah, you know, does, like sometimes yeah. you can put on weight, and it feels like, oh, this weight is a sign yeah. that I have been living a really unhealthy existence. Whereas it's at kebabs the moment, and chocolate. <laughs> yeah, at the moment, well, but even chocolate, like I've, you, you just get a bit more creative. So today, after I do this, I'm going to make some homemade Rocky Road because we've been eating Rocky Road, and we haven't found a Rocky Road that is really something that we like. And I was like, I can make Rocky Road. So I, man, Rocky Road is basically just a whole lot of lollies melted into each other Brilliant. so i just just went and grabbed a whole bunch of stuff and i'm gonna make some homemade rocky oh, road to yeah. enjoy after this i made peanut butter this morning i roasted some peanuts in the oven and then put them in the food processor because i can never get peanut butter crunchy enough so i made some of my own super crunchy and it was it's with you know a good amount of salt a heart-stopping amount of salt super good um what was i talking about oh yeah norway sovereign wealth fund Norway's sovereign wealth fund is $1.6 trillion, and it's not even from the um, the initial profits of their oil and gas. It's from like some sort of offcuts that they went, oh, yeah, you guys can have that. It's been running since 1990, so 30 years later, it's $1.6 trillion. Now, just to give you a scope of what that is, once you start getting above a billion, it's very hard to understand how much money is. Here's, here it is. $1.6 trillion is enough to pay every man, woman, and child job keeper for the rest of their life off the dividends alone. That's not even going into debt. That's not even raising taxes. It's just off the interest. All right. Can you imagine if our country had something like that, had that kind of sovereign wealth in the bank, just generating interest, just generating profit, generating as, as a way of the, like, so we wouldn't have to go into debt of some shit like this. And this shit's going to keep happening, you know, mark my words. And it's horrible that I have to say this. Well, but it is going to happen. A chunk of West Antarctica is going to drop off one day and the ocean's going to rise very quickly. And then there's going to be a big fucking quick shift around as we all try and figure out how to live with it. Right. That's us as a country going, cool, all right. As we relocate everybody, here's some money. We're going to figure it out, all right, and being fine versus fucking, you know, running down the Fury Road with your pants on fire, which is what we're looking at. We don't have to. We don't have to do that. We can get ready for it. And sovereign wealth is a way to get ready for that. So the idea of that worse is still to come is something that, really worries me and i know that you've had climate worry in your life like climate anxiety yeah. you know and i feel of late that i've had to be really conscious of the idea that you know too too much time alone with my own thoughts and if you read too many of the experts opinions and if you read too much of the science that you can get caught in a hole of despondence about the fact that i'm not even sure we're through the worst of COVID yet. In fact, I'm almost 100% convinced that we're not. Like this, we, we talk about the idea of second waves or our recoveries. I'm not sure that we've got to the really bad bit of what we're going through right now yet. And I certainly don't think that we understand that the scope of this will affect the world for the next 10, 20, 50 years. The thing yeah. that we've gone through now will shape what the world looks like for decades after. And at the exact same time, we're going to have to start dealing with a myriad of these sort of things that are going to be climate change related because climate change isn't just one global disease no. it's a whole bunch of global diseases covid could have been I'm, I'm not saying they are connected i'm saying there can be another covid style yeah. pandemic 
due to the effects of climate change and it's not the only thing that's going to be affected by climate change this is true and it's yeah it's horrible well in fact yeah i i actually went crazy um because of this stuff and i i dipped up into uh extreme anxiety that that flipped up into episodes of paranoid delusions episodes of psychosis that manifest as paranoid delusions where i was literally seeing the ocean rising around me and i wanted to run down the street and shout and warn people and you know part of that is a rational reaction but I was having a very irrational way of, of dealing with it. And it was very, very... I was seeing things and hearing things and it was horrible. I had to get on a lot of drugs to get better. It's still awful to consider that even if we discovered nuclear fusion tomorrow and we stopped emitting carbon all around the world immediately, we would still warm for 20 years because the lag in the system is so long. And there's 20 more years of warming, no matter what, even if we started tomorrow on zero carbon emissions tomorrow, we'll still, the atmosphere will still warm for 20 years and we'll have to live with the effects of that. That's horrible to consider, but it is the truth. And you just have to kind of sit with it. It's like a cancer diagnosis. It's like being told we're going to have to remove your arm. It's, you know, that's what's going to happen. There's nothing we can do about it. And we can deny it and try to make up ways to get out of thinking about how horrible it is. Or we can sit with the absolute sorrow and grief. And when we've sat with the sorrow and grief for long enough, we can go, okay, so what do we do now? Well, what do we do now is we adapt, we figure it out, we figure out ways to make sure that we're going to be okay. We try to make our society and our community as robust as possible. Um, we look at things like election reform. We look at things like sovereign wealth. We look at things like, you know, trying to instill a sense of empathy into the community because we're really going to need that. We look at how can we make ourselves as a community best prepared for what is going to happen. There's not if, it's when. Um, the line is, oh, I can't remember who said it. It was a really famous climate scientist. He goes, we're fucked. The question is how soon and how much. Um but, you know, as much as there are exponential problems, well, there's also exponential solutions. So we don't know what's around the corner. We don't know what the pressure of, you know, there was no one working on a vaccine for SARS-CoV-2 last, this time last year. And now it's literally the, flame, the flaming lip, lip song race for the prize. There are people racing for the good of all mankind. So determined. It's that flaming lip song. Um, and... There are people working around the clock as hard as they can. The smartest people on the planet are working as hard as they fucking can to find a vaccine for COVID-19. And it, it's, you know, because there's extraordinary pressure for that, you know, solution to show up. And once the pressure starts, the solutions will arise. I mean, this last week, it's kind of weird, you know. It was like when all the bushfires were happening over 19, the summer of 19 and 20, um... That's the shit that I would see when I blinked my eyes. As soon as I blinked my eyes and I stopped seeing the visual input, I would. that's the stuff I would see. I would just see horror and koalas on fire and people dying. And then I'll come back into the room and I'd blink my eyes and see this like nightmare and then open my eyes again. It was absolutely horrible. So to see that on the news every day, I was like, oh, well, there it is. And it felt okay. Because suddenly I'd look around and I'd see everybody else feeling the way I was feeling five years ago and go, all right, okay, now you there. Now we're here. Now we're here together. Now we can make a choice. Now we can make a decision. Now we can make a move. Um, 
And similarly, you know, we're seeing it now. I mean, there was a time when, you know, I could read. And it was awful to think about, Will, but, you know, sometimes you see in a car, like you rent a car and in the center console where the air conditioning is, it says climate control. The word climate was enough to make my bowels loosen and I would have to, you know, think about having to run and find a toilet. I would go into that much fear and panic. Just that single word was enough to terrify me. Um, on a beautiful day when I was otherwise peaceful and safe somewhere wherever I was in the world. And now I can look at drone footage of houses falling into the sea on the central coast um, because this massive storm swell is hitting north of Sydney and um, the ocean's just starting to take little nibbles, little nibbles. There'll be bites coming, but it's just starting to take little nibbles. I can see that and go, yep, there it is. And it's awful to think about, but... The more stuff like that starts to happen, the closer we are to actually making a move. Because I can't expect everyone to think outside of their day-to-day. People are busy. They're trying to pay the rent. That you know, they've got no job. COVID nineteen shut the economy down. They can't think about this shit right now. But it's there. It's lingering in the back of everyone's minds. Everyone kind of knows it's around. Everyone knows it's coming. And we've got a choice. We can figure out how to work around it and work with it and live with it and thrive. We really can. There's great prosperity. And like I mentioned before, you know, our country is, as you mentioned it, mate, we're sitting, we're sitting on all of, the, all of the treasure. We're sitting on the treasure. It's right under our feet. Um, and we stand to being incredibly well set up if we play this card right. Or we can wait until the world suddenly decides they don't want coal and then go, well, how the fuck do we restructure our economy? And by then we've lost all that time. So it's weird and it's hard. And you know, as I talk to you, I feel my throat tighten and I can feel my heart beating and I can feel the you know effects of anxiety in my body. But I know that um, I'm not crazy like I was. I know that I'm not alone in this feeling. I know that there are many people, very, very clever people working very, very hard to figure it out. And I know that the only thing that I can do about it is to talk about it, um, except that it is happening. I can't hold back the ocean. I can't do that. I can't stop a bushfire by myself. I can't do any of those things. I just have to be in acceptance of it, be in acceptance of my absolute futility in the space of it all. And just trust that eventually... As a community, we will go, okay, that's enough. And we'll decide from one day to the next. All right, good idea, let's go. And that'll be the election issue. And that's it, that'll be all that everybody talks about it. And away we go. And I don't think that day's far away. But it sucked waiting for it. <laughs> it does suck waiting for it. Are you hopeful that we will be in a mood to reshape society in that way out of this? Or are you worried that there will be a massive reaction the other way back to, you know, austerity measures and, you know, keeping things as you know, close to what they were before this as they were before we went into this. There, and I, I feel that this is the big problem. This is why we're having such problems with, um, with resurgences of the virus spreading in our community. It's a terrible communication situation. There was life up until March 2020. There was life in Australia until March 2020. That is now gone forever. And we just have to accept that. There is no going back to what it was. Until there's a vaccine, there's no going back to what it was. And the economy won't ever look the same. And 
society won't ever look the same and the way we think about time at home and how much we actually need shit that we keep buying off the TV and things we're clicking on Instagram. Oh, I fucking need this thing. I didn't know about it five minutes ago and now I have to have it. No, you don't. You know, it's not going to go back to that. And there's a great communication issue around there. So as, as far as austerity goes and that stuff's all on the table, I'm sure. You know, I think about the job market, like, geez, 16, she's like two years from finishing off school and heading into the workforce. Like, well, what's it going to look like in two years for her? But then again, we could be, you know, we could be Nokia in 2006 going, this fucking ride is going to go forever, boys. Book those trips to San Moritz. We're on the way. And then the iPhone comes out. And then the entire globe changes, the economy changes and everything's different now. So we don't know what's around the corner. We don't know what we don't know. So, you know, that's nothing moves in straight lines, Will. I think that's the, you know, that's a really important thing to remember. Things don't move in straight lines. Uh, we can get suckered into the idea. As humans, we like to try and think about how how things change and how things progress. Yes, incrementally, but it's not it's it's not a straight line on a curve. On a, on a graph, things go up for a bit, then they go down, and they leap up, and then they go down a bit, and they might drop off completely, and something changes, and then you're an entirely new graph, and that's how solutions have always happened. Um, but it does suck waiting for that particular amount of of external pressure and political will to marry up with action, um, and unfortunately, that's that's where we are. How do you talk to a sixteen year old about the world at the moment? You know, I do think that. For whatever the end result of what we're going through right now, you know, I hope that there's plenty of adventures ahead in my life. But at the same time, I've had plenty of adventures as well. If things yeah. get shut down a little, and this is why I don't judge, judge young stand-ups at the moment who are, you know, perhaps doing gigs to 15 people in socially isolated ways, because for them, they're at a different point in their career where they need to perform, they need to be in front of people, they need to feel that thing that they have started to dedicate their life to is still important and there for them in their life. And I get all that. But I've had a lot of that already I look at someone who's 16 years old and I look at the world they're going to have to come into not just what's going on right now but you know obviously all the issues that are going to come their way with the climate and the changing of the economies and the ramifications of what we're going through right now that we don't even understand yet how do you talk to a 16 year old about what world she is now living in and also what world she's going to be living in um, well thankfully she she goes to a pretty excellent school, which we're really grateful for. We were pretty lucky to get her in. Um, it was it was like Trinity in the first scene of The Matrix, where this kind of tiny little window opened of like within a day, one student had pulled out from the... We were moving her from one school to the other and one student had pulled out and, you know, enough of the planets and stars lined up that we all just kind of dived through this window and we were there to be able to have a chat with the people that day and that afternoon and... It was great. We were lucky. So she goes to a pretty good school that is very, very vocal and and very matter of fact about what's going on. Um, you know, there were I think like her geography teacher was, you know, you know, they were they're having this really, really frank conversation about the desalination plant at Cornell here in Sydney and going, Oh, they built this um hoping they would never need to turn it on and it's been on since last May. Um, you know, and that that will tell you about where we are as you know as far as rainfall goes and as far as what the climate's doing and you know we didn't used to need it but we need it now and so she's got a fairly 
you know, she's got a fairly decent idea um, and she's still a kid, you know, she's still 16 years old. Her and her mates just want to make great TikToks and buy cool tops that they see on Instagram and, you know, go to gathers and hang out and do cool shit. Um, and they're fucking cool. They're all super cool. They're all, they're all as tall as you or taller. They're giant, giant kids. They're amazingly well-nourished um, and wonderful and fun and, and powerful and uh, they're really, really great kids. Um, but I think you just... The only thing to remember, Will, is that, you know, Audrey is, Audrey is very much somebody that instilled this in me. Um, you know, there was a line that, you know, I wrote a song about it when I did the live show for my book. Um, there was a line that she said that really saved my life because I was really worried about it, really worried about the world. And she said, look, if it does, if it does come to that, I'll be with you and it'll be okay. And that's really, you know, what she's saying is that, okay, we'll figure it out. We'll figure it out. Whatever it is, we'll figure it out. And it's super important to remember that, that we're a human being and a human being's, one of their most incredible, incredible features of, of being a human being is adaptable, adaptable, adaptability. Adaptability. Our ability to adapt, our ability to accept new things is totally fun and normal and okay. And just trusting that we as a community, as a society, are malleable and we generally are pretty good inside our hearts and we move as a big amorphous blob with kind of spiky bits on the fringes. We generally all move in the same direction here in Australia. So what is... Do you believe that we are alone in the universe? Do you believe that we are the only of our kind, our only evolved intelligent life in the universe? Absolutely a squillion percent not. If you can just conceive of the vastness, our, our arm of... We are in an outer spiral arm of the Milky Way, right? What we call the Milky Way. We're an outer spiral arm of our galaxy. In the arm of our galaxy, there are 400 billion suns, okay? There are, I don't know how many hundreds of thousands of billions of billions of galaxies which have each more than 400 billion suns. The odds of us being alone are as close to zero as a curve can get. It's impossible to imagine that we're alone. Impossible. Impossible to imagine that we're alone. And that's, you know, extraordinary. Once you start really thinking about it, I, um, I, I've recently, and if you want to get a, you know, get a crack on how futile all this is and how you can just kind of sit back and watch it, not in a nihilistic way, but just kind of just engage with it on a more philosophical level, um, on iTunes, they actually have the original 1981 Carl Sagan Cosmos. And with its kooky soundtrack and, you know, synthesizers and Carl doing some cool shit and, like, nailing Flat Earthers in about 47 seconds. And the opening 10 minutes of that, of Cosmos, the book, uh, and then the TV show, I should say, it's just extraordinary to think about just the vastness of, of space and the true scope of what we are a part of. To even think that my tiny little problem or my my this whatever what's the what what holocene 
the Holocene era was a 10,000 years is how long this particular epoch is. To think that when this ends, when the you know Antarctica melts and an entirely new realm of animals will show up and life forces will, will exist, to think this is even significant in the actual length of time the universe has been around is hilarious. It is absolute arrogance to believe that our timeline, the human timeline, is the one that is important. It is not. We are like a mosquito buzzing around the room, a mosquito that lives for for half a day, you know, in the in the length of time the universe has been around. We are so utterly insignificant. And when you think about that, you're like, okay, this is just our time and we get a front row seat to the moment that, you know, this bit finishes and another part starts. And you never know, Will. The part that comes next has no choice but to be incredible. It really doesn't. Humanity's had an opportunity that many times to face absolute, you know, devastation and just destruction and horror and gone, you know what? No, let's just not keep cutting each other up. Let's do something else. And that's happened time and time again. So you just got to trust the, the, the card will fall right side up and we'll have to go through a bit of a bumpy bit to say the least before we get there and we'll have to play a very we'll have to pay a very horrible and painful price to get the lesson that we learn but we'll learn how to live together we'll learn how to get along and we'll learn how to make the very best with what we can uh the the internet connection has been a bit shit for the last 20 minutes are you getting that as well uh it's okay you know you know we had this opportunity to you know there was this moment and I'll never forget, there was a great video of, of Malcolm Turnbull, our former Prime Minister, going, you're never going to need more than 100 megabits a second. That's just bullshit. And then, here, boom, lockdown. You know, trying to have a video call with 300 staff. <laughs> and, you know, everything. Like, come on. Just build it as well as you possibly can with the absolute limits of the technology they have at the time. And that'll be slow by the time you're done in five years. But we didn't. And that's okay. It is this this time has definitely shown us how important a functional you know it's so funny how limited our thinking has been around modern technology in this country because for a country that yeah. I'm pretty much on any other standard of measurement of livability around the world our standard of living normally falls in the top 10 maybe the top 5 yeah. you know definitely the top 20 for pretty much everything there's a couple of things climate change being one of them and also our fucking internet that we are so far down that list and we take such pride in the things we're at the top of the list and yet we have taken so little pride in the things that we are so far down the list. Yeah. Uh, Fibre to the house, fibre to the home, cheaper than high-speed rail. Just build it. (laughs) Just fucking build it. Particularly now, as you see people, I mean, one of the side effects of what is happening at the moment is that there is a flight from the cities. This is a thing that there's already documentation around the idea that the people who are thinking about, you know, they've now imagined that they can do their business from somewhere other than the city, that the city may actually be the worst place for them to be doing their business, to be paying, you know, uh, thousands and hundreds of thousands of dollars on a high-priced city you know, real estate when they could actually be running their business from somebody somewhere else just over the internet. You've seen a whole bunch of people suddenly decide they're going to go and live outside the cities. And if we only yeah. had 
a world-class internet in this country. Again, this idea of how far ahead of the rest of the world we could be as a country. That's the thing that frustrates me the most when I think about this country is that we truly are the lucky country. Like, you know, if you were born in Australia, now it is definitely not everybody's experience who was born in Australia that you feel like you're very lucky because there are incredible, you know, parts of our community that just don't share the same luck. The thing that frustrates me the most about this country is that we are such a lucky country. You know, Donald Horn originally meant that as an insult, that we were, you know, we we forest gumped it. Australia is the forest gump of countries, that things just always kind of work out for Australia and Australians. Now, that is 100% as we know and as we're becoming more aware is not every Australian's experience. In fact, there are huge groups of marginalised Australians, including most embarrassingly and disgracefully the First Nations people of this country. So... W- w- but in a general sense, if you are born in Australia, you are born in a place that is genuinely a land of opportunity. And the fact that we are only limited by our own ambition sometimes is the most frustrating thing about this country. Because instead of protecting what we have, we are the sort of country that should be looking at what's next at all times. It really does. And it's until... And the tricky, tricky part is that you kind of need to travel to see that. And uh, the tricky part is that we won't be able to travel internationally for some time. Uh, We kind of have this idea that we are at the top of the mountain. Why should we need to climb any higher? Everything's fine. Like, no, we're not. There's, you know, yeah, we might be at the top of the mountain, but look at this. It's like some Indiana Jones invisible staircase and we can climb all the way to the sky if we wanted. um, Because, and we wouldn't even be the first country to do it. Like there's that many ideas that have already been tested and proven in very similar communities to our own that work extraordinarily well and are far more equitable, efficient, uh, economically viable, smart and lead to higher uh, you know, outcomes for the society. Why are we not doing them? Because they're there. It's not a political, it's like, you know, there's nothing political about it. It's like your job as a government is to do the best thing for the people of the country this has been proven to be a really good thing to do for the people of the country. How come we're not doing it that way? And, oh, yeah, it's, oh, it's not the way we do things here. So oh, come on, man. There's ways to do things. We might not have the best ideas. And I think that's the, you know, and I think about this quite a, quite a bit, and I don't know if I spoke about this to you last time. I've, I've been grateful, very grateful, that I had um, humili- humility um, come and, and, and fire me in, a, in, a, in an alley and, and, and smash me in the face and, and shove my body under a dumpster and leave me to die uh, <laughs> when I had to get sober. Um, and, you know, this idea of like find humility before humility finds you. And I had to have the humility to go, well, what we were talking about the best ideas we could possibly have. Like I had these really, all these really great ideas about my career and about my life and about how I was as a person and a relationship and all this kind of stuff. And the very best ideas, the very fucking best ideas I had got me divorced, unemployed, paying rent out of my savings in a foreign country. That was the smartest that I could be. My life started to change once I started to listen to people who had better ideas than me. And it didn't make me or my ego feel it's like I then took those ideas, combined them with what I already, already had, and then I multiplied that. I still had ownership of the result. It's not like I just did what other people... I was like, I took this concept, put it into my already you know functioning operating system, and then catapulted myself. But I would not have done that had I not listened. And I think it's really important for us as a country to just kind of have the humility to go, this might not be the best way to do it. Sure, this is the way we've always done it. 
It might not be the best. So I ordered some other ways that work. Well, why don't we try that? We might have a better outcome for everyone. And just, it doesn't make us bad. It doesn't make us losers that we have taken an, an idea from somewhere else or, you know, something that someone else has suggested. It could be really fucking good for a lot of people. Uh I don't expect you to be an expert on this and I understand the idea that we're two white guys who are about to talk about this topic, but it's something that I just like to talk to people about because I think that it's important that we're having this conversation. Um, Talk to me about Australia and our relationship to our First Nations people. Australia's relationship to its First Nations people is one based on propaganda and misinformation Uh, one that is based upon a decision that was very deliberately made by the people that came before us to relieve the colonizers of the country of which, you know, I am somebody that I'm an immigrant to this country. So, you know, I am one of the people that came and it is designed to relieve me of the, the, the guilt and the shame of what actually happened by never actually telling me the truth about what actually happened. And it is a, um, a very deliberate um, uh, result of decisions made in the 1800s by the people in power to erase the truth of what actually occurred and what actually was here so that people could freely go through the country with their good Christian hearts and, you know, chop down trees and make, you know, cattle grazing land and feel, no, this is totally fine. This is totally, I'm morally completely fine to do this because as far as I'm aware, the people that were here, there was a man standing on one leg with his foot on his knee holding a spear. That was the all, that was as capable as he was. So, you know, uh, uh, we actually did him a favor. So, and that's the lie that got told to us, Will. And so, and that lie never got challenged. And that was a lie that got taught to me at school. And that's a lie that gets repeated and told again and again and again and again and again. And it underpins the way that our country has its relationship. It underpins the way that the uh, conqueror in our country, uh, and I would say anyone that is not a a First Nations person is, is part of the conquerors. Uh, of the First Nations people, because we are living on their land, uh, which never ceded. Um, it has relieved us of the moral, relieved us of the moral burden of accepting the stolen property and living our life uh, um, in the, you know, dancing, literally dancing on the graves of the people that were massacred to make space for us. But we were never told about that, so we could just kind of carry on and not even care and not worry, no matter what we got told. Um, once you start finding out that stuff, and it's it's not. You know, it's not um, hard to find. There's plenty of books to read. Um, Beyond the Frontier, I think that's the one. Beyond the Frontier, Henry Reynolds. Where is it? It's back here. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. It's Beyond the the other side. The other side of the frontier, Henry Reynolds. Um. The Other Side of the Frontier from Henry Reynolds is a really good one. Of course, there's um, Bruce Pascoe's Dark Emu, which as well is extraordinary. And these books, they all they did was go back and find the original journals of the first white people to wander in, inland from the coasts. And you can see that 
so much of it was, you know, there's always that joke about, you know, oh, they've released the papers, but so much of it was redacted. And, they've, you know, they've, the Freedom of Information Act has finally handed this down, though we did see the Palace Papers the other day, and that was amazing. Um, you know, then you get this A4 piece of paper with just, like, just Nico Pen all over it, and it says, yours sincerely, you know, Governor General John Kerr. <laughs> it's like, well, that's useless. We can't see anything. So much of the actual history was redacted, and, you know... It was there was deliberate obfuscation of any reporting of Aboriginal architecture or, you know, farming practices or anything like that. They were hunter gatherers, and that was the story. That's not the real story. That's not the truth. Um, and once you kind of understand that the first, like Burke and Wills, we get this idea that Burke and Wills, you know, they were there with the the machetes, you know, carving a pathway through the bush. No, they walked along the song lines. They walked along the tracks that had been walked upon for 10, 20, 40, 60,000 years. They just followed the path that was already there. They fed on the stashes of food that had been left behind by the nomadic peoples who were like, great, we'll be back here for a corroboree next summer. We need to leave, you know, this this Mitchell found them, uh, the explorer Mitchell found these, you know, clay huts with all this this, uh, this grain that had been stored and, and prepared and ready. And it's like, okay, we'll leave that for the next time we're here for a corroboree. It'll be fine. You know, these guys didn't know how to survive. They just ate the stashes of food that were left behind. But we never got told that at school. You know, Mitchell was someone that our, our house team was named after. I had to wear a T-shirt on school carnival day because I was in Mitchell house, whatever. Like, we never learned about that shit, but it's the truth. And... Because we didn't learn about it, our relationship has been based, our relationship with indigenous peoples of our country, the First Nations people of our country, has been based on a lie. And it sucks to realize that. But once you start getting your head around it, once you start understanding that the more you read, the less you know, once you start understanding that the best thing you can do is to shut up and listen, once you start understanding that, you know, there needs to be, as a nation, you know, you asked about why can't we move forward i you know there i think there's i think there's a great amount of shame in our country that we all kind of know in the back of our hearts in the back of our minds we all kind of know what happened and we all kind of know that we are you know oh i don't i don't buy that phone because it's made with conflict minerals yeah right well guess whose land you're living on you know <laughs> guess you know certainly if you're up in do you know up in yandina in queensland up until the mid-90s, there was a place called Murdering Creek, and they just left it being called that because it was like some stockman killed something like 73 people there, and they just, oh, it was, oh, that's Murdering Creek. That's where I murdered everybody. And, like, that's that's our history. That's our history. And, you know, stuff like that has been erased from the narrative, and that's, you know, the basis of of... Of, of where people have drawn their conclusions as to why things are the way they are is based on a false premise. And you just have to, you know, you just got, it starts with listening and it starts with understanding and it starts with education and it's uncomfortable to read. It is hard to read. I would recommend if you want to kind of ease your way into it, start with David Hunt, start with Gert and then True Gert, which is this, it's so horrible. The way he writes it, it's brilliant. You laugh because if you don't laugh, you'll weep when he tells the story of how the indigenous and the first nations people were actually treated by the first white people that showed up. Um, but start there and start getting your head around it. And then it's really going to make you think differently, you know, and just listen, just talk, talk to people, get your head around it. But I don't think as a country we can move forward. Well, I don't think we can move forward until there's true reconciliation, until there's a true sense that, you know, we as a nation, uh, have what we have because it was taken and we need to figure out a way to make it right. I don't know what that is. 
I don't know what it is, but we need to figure out a way to make it right. Um, the ways we've been trying haven't been working for anybody, um, but we need to figure it out. And yeah, uh, I'm really happy to see that. Vic- I think Victoria, didn't they? Victoria started Truth and Reconciliation uh, uh, movement towards that. That is that's extraordinary. That's a jump to light speed. You know, if that can happen, that begins the conversation. And it's vitally important. It's vitally important. Have you ever been to South Africa? No, I've never been. Oh, 1994, that place... I did, I did live in the eastern suburbs of Sydney, though, so... All right, I'm so close enough. Probably met more South Africans than anyone who's been to South Africa. Yeah. But in 1994, <laughs> when the ANC took power, was it ANC, Mandela? It could have been an absolute bloodbath, but it wasn't. As a country, they managed to fig- they managed to sit down and go, okay, all right, let's 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 get it all on the table. And let's figure out how we can move forward from here. And it's incredible, you know. It's a country not without its challenges. I'll give you that. I've been there a couple of times now, three times now. It's a country that's not without its challenges, but what it could have been, amazing. It's amazing how they managed to pull it back from that. I agree with what you're saying about. I I do honestly believe it is an anchor around us as a nation and our aspirations. I I do genuinely believe that part of what holds us back in our aspirational thinking is because we haven't reconciled the thing that we know that we have to deal with. You know, we've all got those things in our lives, and I don't mean to diminish this by like saying this, but you know that project that you know you need to get to, but you'd just rather do anything else rather than get to the thing that you really need to get to, and it feels. Yeah. Without wanting to, you know, unnecessarily lighten the severity of what we're talking about, we have that as a country on such a huge level. And I just think that the weight would be off our collective shoulders and it has to be meaningful reparations. I mean, yeah. I would suggest somebody who's putting together a sovereign wealth fund could probably, you know, petition off a little of the sovereign wealth fund, I would imagine, for the original owners of the land. That might be something that you could tie into a comprehensive policy if you're running for parliament. Oh, uh, yeah. I think you're absolutely right, Will. And if somebody was doing that, you'd imagine they might have already had those conversations <laughs> with some interested parties. <laughs> Uh, We mentioned America. It's been interesting to me personally because I always imagined that I'd go back. In fact, I have a visa that is quickly running out the clock because obviously I won't be able to go back to America for, you know, the fact that they're not letting anyone fly anywhere. And of course, I don't know if you've noticed, but America is not the sort of place that you would put on first of the list you go back to at the moment. So um, it's interesting to me because that's really moved me on from that part of my life. You know, the circumstances of Mm. the world have made a decision for me that I hadn't fully committed to myself. I had mostly considered that the rest of my life would mostly be back here for personal reasons for life reasons but you know just because also I like the way of life and I like the people here and it's where I grew up and it's where I want to you know spend most of my life but I still had aspirations to sort of work and live in America part of the time and now I think I've put a close to those aspirations and it's given me an opportunity to think more fully about Australia and uh, you know what we need to do here and be much more invested in the idea that you know if you're going to live in a place even where we've lived where we've moved to so our move is you know going home for my partner for a start you know we've moved back to where she's from but secondly it's with the idea that if we are going to grow and live within a community for the rest of our lives this is the sort of community that we would like to grow and, and live 
within. So I, I've been having conversations with people during this downtime about you know ways I can get involved in the community here and ways that I can give to the community here. And, and you know, starting with the idea of giving something before asking to take something back in return. Connecting with the community. But, you know, it's sad for me to see what's happening in America. And I'd love your take on how you feel about America right now as someone who lived there for so long, who would have a whole bunch of friends who are still living there. When you see the news from America, what is it that it makes you feel? Um, well, for a start, my brother and his husband live there. They they live in Michigan, um, and which is an open carry state. And I, I spoke to him the day that uh, six white guys showed up in, with AR-15s and, and walked into the essentially the, the state house, like the, the local the, the state government house, um, you know, demanding that they you know shouldn't be put in lockdown and don't have to wear masks. Like it's fucking armed men walking into the government building. Like anyway, um, I had a green card. I gave it back. Um, I had met Audrey in Georgia. And it was a confluence of things. I had been quite sick, um, and I had avoided any kind of hospitalization for um, the psychosis. And I, I, it really frightened me that I might get hospitalized. So I'm like, you know what? If I get, if I'm getting, if I get sick, 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 I do not want to end up in the healthcare system here. And there was that was running in the back of my head. And I'd, I'd met Audrey and George, and I'm like. I, I went back to the States and I was, I was doing a, a bunch of pitching and developing and things like that. And Trump had won the Republican nomination. I'm like, I don't want to live in a country where he wins. And I don't want to live in a country where he loses. And I think it had been like 10 straight weeks where an unarmed black teenage boy had been shot by the cops somewhere and nothing had happened. And I'm like, nah, I'm done. I'm done. Hanging out with Audrey and Georgia back in Sydney is far more awesome than this. There's no TV show in the world. There's no development. There's no nothing. There's no any gig that I could get here that makes me feel as good as when I'm hanging out with those two. So I got out of there. And It's hard to get your head around the idea of that. just come to that understanding. Australia's just a better country. Like I think the medical is. one is such a good one because I, I went through this yeah. hypothetical scenario where I was like, well, I could have been in the US when this went down. What would I have done? And some of my friends have chosen to stay and I understand the reasons that they've chosen to stay, but I would have gone immediately to the airport and I would have got on a plane back to Australia going and all my thinking would have been if I get sick, I want to get sick in Australia and not in America. Yeah. And day by day, all you need to do is turn on the news from America to see you know, reason after reason why you're more happy to be in Australia than you are in America. Yeah, I right now the um, the reactionary, frightened white man has the mic a lot in America. There is a enormous part of that country that I fell in love with, a humongous part of that country that is just absolutely driven by possibility and opportunity. One thing that I really got from there, and you would have seen this, is that success and more so the potential of success is an absolute currency and is something that is so fucking celebrated. What are you working on? What are you working on? That sounds amazing. Do you need some investors? I can call a guy. I know a guy. Everyone is just wants to help possibility happen and the, and the system works really, really badly for a lot of people, but incredibly 
incredibly well for some people. And that's what has driven them forward as far as innovation and progression and technological advancement has gone. And I have every faith. I have every faith that that side of the country will rise up again. But just right now, right now, they are in the stuck in this awful vortex of a machine that they've created. Um, and a machine that in many ways we as a country are affected by. When you think about how much a Californian company called Facebook has affected our nation, the way that we you know, treat each other, the way that we talk to each other, or an American company called Twitter has changed the way that we communicate with each other and has, has so decimated our ability to have empathy for a stranger. Um, you know, we're really influenced by, we're still very much influenced by American um, technology. And, but I, I, re I really believe that that other side of the country, the country, the side of the country that sent the people to the moon, um, they are all still there. And they're all super fucking excited about the possibility that lays ahead of them. It's just super fucking scary right now. It's really, really, really scary right now. Um, and certainly when you've got someone like, have you seen the Lincoln Project stuff? Yeah. Which is hardcore, old school, dyed-in-the-wool, Republican Party diehards going, fuck this. <laughs> I mean, about fucking time, though, guys. That's, I, would, I, would yeah. offer the, I would offer the proviso of about fucking time because it's no surprise yeah. that he has been this terrible yeah. for this long. Yeah. Th thanks for finally yeah. fucking saying something. I'm glad you've said something, but thanks for finally yeah. fucking saying yeah. something. Yeah. And for them to realize that as a it's the finally the we not me has has risen up the as a whole what this country stands for is more important than any person's personality or any one idea and the, the one idea that is very important is our constitution and that thing needs to be protected but right now that thing is going out the window and the very system of government that we have and the checks and balances we have that keep things in check are being eroded and this is a very fucking dangerous place for all of us. Um, there'll be, a, don't mark my words, there'll be an economic incentive to <laughs> them because they're the Republican Party and that's fine. Um, but I, I, I don't discount that part of the country, all right? It's really fucking scary. And I talk to, I talk to Marty often. Um, he's an amazing guy. I love him so much. And he is just... he. It's his first kind of exposure to it, the whole... And you would have seen, oh, yeah? What is that? Tell me more about this project. This is really exciting. I know a guy. I know a girl. Let's hook you up with the guys from What's-His-Face. They did something similar. Maybe you could talk to them. Da -da -da -da. People just want to help and want to find solutions um, to problems that can scale and solutions that can scale very quickly. So I have no doubt that they'll find their way out of this. They're just in the reeds, man. Right now, they're right in the reeds. And it may be too much for a lot of people to bear. And I get I get why some people have tried to, you know, mates of mine, like, how are you going? I mean, I've found myself a, the perfect, like, I, know, I literally know a guy who's from, <laughs> from Boston. He's from Boston. He's moved himself to outback Kentucky. He's like, nah, I'm going to ride this out here. Like they've gone and tried to, like mates of mine who have just gone, fuck this. I'm going to find the most benign place I can find. There's a grocery store. I've got Wi-Fi. I'm okay. And they're just going to ride this part out. Okay. It'd be tough to be, it'd be really tough to be in the South right now. It'd be really tough to be in Florida right now. It'd be really, really tough. Um, there's a, it's going to be an interesting six months, um, particularly when you've got, a president who says, um, 
you know, he gets asked directly on Fox News, which is his favorite channel, will you accept the results of the election? And he says, I'll have to see. You know, that's, you know, that's the sound of alarm bells ringing all over the fucking planet, my friends. You know, um, it's going to be an interesting six months, Will, but I have absolutely no doubt that if you look at this through the sense of possibility, like you can look at it, my brain tends to want to go to the most frightening thing, all right? And I go, okay, that's one way to look at it. And and I try to go back to uh, the prophet Bill Hicks. You can look at the world through the eyes of fear or the eyes of love. It just takes a blink of an eye. Okay, so what's my brain wants to go to the worst possible case scenario from this situation, from this input, okay? What's the exact opposite of that? What's the most incredible thing that could happen out of this? Joe Biden just put up something like, well, I want to you know, transition everyone to electric cars, 15 trillion to turn the economy green within 10 years. Boom. Fucking hell, man. That'd be amazing. <laughs> you know, the, what's the other way to look at it? What's the possibility? Because there's always possibility and there's always, you know, people will always go for what's going to be, you know, bountiful and, and possible and, and joyful and, and something for them and their family. And, and it's... You know, it's easy to go for this is frightening, this is scary, because, you know, that's an immediate, uh, it's like scratching eczema. You know, it feels good to go for frightening, scary, frightening, scary. But, you know, there's the other side of things, and we can't discount that. Uh, Osh's podcast is called Better Than Yesterday. You should definitely listen to it. It's an excellent podcast. <laughs> I very much enjoy it. And it does, it is a podcast for our times. It is not just of <laughs> our times, but I think... There is a lot in the conversations that you have on your show that are very relevant to people right now. I highly recommend it. I've been, I don't. I was I doing the time machine question when we spoke last. Did I ask you where you go in a time machine? Uh, no. Okay. So, well, this would have been your second time answering it because I'm doing repeats of it now. Ramona's barking at the bin. There's nothing in there. There's look, see nothing. Um, so. <laughs> Sometimes I love. I do the same shit. I have to show my dog. No, there's no point. There's no point. Frank is such an idiot. So, um, what I was going to ask you is this: then, for the first time, I have a time machine. It is one round trip. You can go back to a point. One round trip. One round trip. You can go back to a point in your life. You can change it. You can observe it. You could go back to a point in history and change and observe it. I, I will say this. You don't need to go back and kill Hitler or whatever. All those things, no. I'm going to send back the appropriate person to go back and kill Hitler. You get to indulge whatever it is that you want to indulge on this trip. What would you do? Holy moly. Um, on the selfish side of things... I'll answer two, two, one round. Oh, I can only do no, one. No, no, no. I mean, it's a question to get the answer. It's not, a, I don't actually have a time machine, so you can have two. I'm happy for you to have two. Um, when I spoke to Julia Gillard, I let her bring all her f- favorite authors back from history to have a, like a little Algonquin round table. It's my time machine. I can do with it what I please. The starting premise is you get one round trip, but you can have two. You didn't get one last oh, time. Okay. So you no, get two. one round trip. No, one, one round trip. Okay. One round trip is fine. I will take, um, uh, I'll get a babysitter and I'll take G because G needs to see this. So Wolf might be inappropriate for you right now because you're only 11 months old. So sorry, but I'll take G and then me and Audrey and Wolf will go to, um, what was it called? 
Prince had a nightclub in Minneapolis and he would regularly just show up and play from one till five in the morning. And I would go and like at the peak of his power, at the peak of his prime, like 84, 85, 86, around there somewhere, I would find... Well, no, not not necessarily Minneapolis. Like whatever, like the, if we go back, use scientific ways to figure out what was the absolute zenith of Prince's, you know, stage moment, and go and see the show, and then find our way to the after party, and and watch Prince and his band play until dawn. Um, that's what I would do. Still, one of the greatest nights of my life was when I went to see Prince when he was doing that twenty nights at the Forum in LA. He did twenty nights oh, in a you row, went. Oh, and so God. it was twenty nights in a row at the Forum. I don't know what the Forum holds, but it's big. And he did twenty nights in a row. It was twenty bucks a ticket. That was the whole idea that everyone could get to go see it. By the time I got my ticket, Osha was not twenty dollars, but I bought myself a ticket to that uh, show Fair regardless. Enough. And I'd never seen Prince live before, but somebody just said to oh. me, "You should go and see this show." And so I went by myself. Yeah. First thing that I didn't realize is Prince is a black artist. Like in Australia, Prince is because we don't have a huge black you know community, and you don't see that sort of immediate association with. But when you go to see Prince in LA, it was like. Me and like 95% of the room was black people. And so it's a different concert experience already because they're seeing somebody who you're, you're part of another community. You've suddenly got to be yeah. not only at a great show, but you feel like a tourist in somebody else's experience almost, right? Like you're, you're seeing a whole other world. So that was amazing. Mary J. Blige was doing support, which was pretty amazing. Holy fucking shit. But still to this day. The most ballsy thing I've ever seen an entertainer do. And Prince was great at that. If you've ever seen that, um, uh, the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame performance where he's playing guitar on While My Guitar Gently Weeps, I, p- please find the video of it. He's on stage with all these other legends that just comes on. Because we forget that Prince was also just an amazing guitar player, right? Unfucking believable So in the middle of the show, between Mary J. Blige and Prince coming out, it's in the round at the Forum. He plays on the big screens James Brown videos. So this is James Brown in concert. This is like me before my show playing Bill Hicks videos, right? <laughs> you know, as a warm-up. And then there's this interview with James Brown and the reporter says, hey, why don't you play... Uh, no, James Brown just says, he says, people say to me, why don't you play the best of James Brown? And he says, because the best of James Brown is yet to come and then in that moment the lights go out and Prince rises up from out of the stage it was the most baller moment I have ever seen in my entire life and you know what for the next 3 hours and 28 minutes he went yeah I fucking told you he did didn't he it would have been the most amazing like it's the greatest thing I've ever seen it's the most incredible transcendent gig I've ever seen he had a piano in the corner of uh, the stage and he would go over to the piano and he played like you know six bars of cream and then he'd stop playing it and he'd just mutter I got too many hits <laughs> <laughs> it's the greatest. It was such a shame. Such oh, a man. fucking shame that he died. So sad. It's such a shame. Oh, my God. Uh, anyway, thank you for doing this. We have we have a time frame. You said 5 o'clock. That's our latest, and it's 4.52 on my clock here. So Great. Uh, we'll stop rolling, and I have a question to ask. Oh, okay. All right. Uh, thank you. <laughs> Goodbye, everybody. <laughs> You're the best, Will. <laughs>